Wow. That is just uh, outstanding. Thanks, Julie. Thanks, guys. That's um, Hold on. If there was a movie made, a good movie made about Joseph, that would be the theme song. Hold on. Just hold on. Um, unlike last week, if you were here, if you weren't here, you can pick up the, the CD. Or, um, we talked about Jeremiah. There was not a, a necessarily a happy ending. And we just saw God's working through the man, Jeremiah. Today, it's a little different. Joseph's got some other stuff going on here. Again, God kind of jumps out of the quote-unquote box that we like to put him into and shows his character um, through and how and the way that he works with Joseph. As much as anything, this is a lesson in how to deal. You know, it's a lesson in how to deal with, with being framed or being taken advantage of or just plain shafted. You know, it's a lesson in that, and, and I think most all of us, uh, at one time or another, or in our future, probably can can uh, have some uh, things we need to take from that. Um, whether it happens to be from mean-spirited people uh, who really intend to hurt you, or whether it happens to be just some of the bad breaks of life, you know? Um, it's also a narrative that shows how God works in and through, and listen to this, because of, sometimes, because of our failures, not just in spite of them, and not just through them, but sometimes because of them, because God can do that, because he's God. And he is, he is the God that, as I have said, I'll probably say it every time in this series, a comprehensible God is no God at all, which, of course, is a quote that we've been kind of using from a great preacher from the first century, Chrysostom. Um, all right, so let's jump into this thing. We all can relate to failure in different ways, and uh, Joseph's, Joseph life's, Joseph's life Tough to say, three times hard, real quick. Joseph's life can really be uh, summed up with a lot of failures. Some his, mostly others. I can relate to this thing, can't you? So many times. There's very few things probably that I can relate to that I will speak on that I can relate to as much as failure. Times that I have felt like I just failed. Sometimes it's been serious. Sometimes maybe I thought it was serious and it wasn't so serious. I had one this week. I, I'm embarrassed to tell you about it. This isn't like some big moral confession or anything, uh, so don't get your hopes up. But um, um, hopefully we won't have any of those. But um, Charlene and, and Steph and I, our daughter and her husband was, I don't know, basketballing it somewhere. And, and so the three of us were in the city Friday night and ended up getting some tickets to uh, the uh, play we've been wanting to see, which is... Uh, Putnam County Spelling Bee, which is just a great play. If you haven't seen it, it's just a fun play. Well, if you know anything about the play, there is a, there's a part in the beginning of the play where they have people in the audience, they interview you as you're going in and so forth, who be participate in that thing. And um, I got chosen. And I was really fired up. You know, I was all thinking about it already. I'm going to call Charlie and... For those of you who don't know, one of our one of our guys on Broadway, Will and, and Norbert, and say, hey, "I'm on Broadway, baby," and uh, um, and so and I want to stay in as long. And, and they tell you, they give you a little thing, you know, do the best you can. Don't try to don't try to mess up the words on purpose. I am so you know I'm so psyched about this. And they said, "Okay, here's your word." You know, and they called me Reverend Teeters. Um, here's your word. I am so embarrassed to tell you this. Jihad. All I can think about with jihad, all I'm thinking, gee, I want to get this right, jihad, is it H-A-U-D or is it H-A-D? Okay, that's all I can think about. 
and without even realizing it. This is embarrassing. You guys are going to think I have an IQ of about 10 when I tell you this. Um, all I could think of, H-A-D or H-A-U-D? Because I thought I'd seen it somewhere, H-A-U-D. So I said, G-I-H-A-D. Can you believe that? For those idiots like me, it's J-I-H-A-D. Anyway, um, I was just so bummed. And everybody yelled and clapped for it. It was really great. I had my, had my moment of glory in Broadway. It was a full house. And I walked through. People giving me high fives. I mean, it was great. I mean, it was really cool. This is great. But I was just so bummed. I really was bummed. I wanted to stay in that show as long as I could. You know, I was really, it was really, I really did. But um, um, that was a failure. I was just a, no other way to describe it. I just choked. I was just, just a failure. I mean, if it was a word I didn't know, that would, wouldn't bother me. But I mean, it's one of those words that you ever, you know, we all know. Well, anyway, so that was my flirtation, one of my flirtations with failure this week. That's the only one I'm going to tell you about. Unfortunately, they're not always something like that. Sometimes failure really hurts people, breaks their heart. They get lied to, they get cheated on. People run around on them, people betray them. People gossip about them. People try to destroy them. People, uh, I, you know, people, we don't, we don't, I was in one of my UN groups one day and a guy was telling me, one of the leaders was telling me about how in his country, during the election time, not this last election, but the one before that, and he was telling me how, I was asking him what he thought of our political process, and he said, in my country, and I've mentioned this story to you before, I think, in my country, when you lose the election, you probably end up losing your life. And he was serious. And, uh, and, and I wrote back to some friends of mine, and I said, uh, who, who were in Vail, and uh, I just left there at the time, and, and, and he had said, I said, I guess we don't, we don't uh, worry too much about assassinations in Vail. And my friend wrote me back, emailed me back, and said, no, but we think about it, don't we, with our words. And it's so true in, in, in our lives and so forth. And, and, and failure comes in so many different ways, and, and it hurts. Whether it's mine, whether it's yours, whether it's somebody else's, or whether it's just life, the brokenness of life, a sickness that's not necessarily anybody's fault, but it still hurts. I want, to, I want you to, we've we got, we got a lot of stuff, in it, and I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about it because I want you to see Joseph's life, but we've got a lot of stuff here, but that, that's failure. It begins with Joseph being this, the only way I can describe it is this being this snot-nosed, snotty little short hills kid, okay? Summit, okay? Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's what he is. Now, you'll see what I mean, because look what happens. Beginning right here in, in, in Genesis, Joseph was 17 years old. He often tended his father's flocks with his half-brothers. Well, maybe not short hills or something, but anyway... The, this, his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bildad and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Now, Jacob loved Joseph more. Here we got a problem. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old, old age. So one day he gave Joseph a special gift, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph, Sure. Joseph, because of their, his father's partiality, they couldn't say a kind word to him. So one night, Joseph had a dream. He goes and sees his brothers. One night, he has a dream. And he, de- he details to his brothers, causing them to hate him even more. This is where the, 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 the smart aleck, the, 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 the arrogance, a little cocky, 
kind of kicks in. He has a dream. He details it to his brothers, causing them to hate him even more. Listen to this dream, he announced. We were out flying. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. My bundle stood up, and, and there were your bundles all gathered around. They bowed low before it. <laughs> so you are going to be our king, are you? His brothers taunted. And they hated him all the more. Of course they would. And his dream. And what, you know, and the thing I would say to Joseph, you know, I, you know, and keep in mind, dreams were different in this age than what they are today. Uh, in, in this age, when we talk about revelation, revelation is God letting, uh, letting man know what man would otherwise not know. And in, in, in particular, the Old Testament age, the way God did that was through dreams and visions and things like that. Uh, in, this, in, in today's society, today's day, what do we do when we, have, uh, when we want to know what God says? We want to know what, the, what, what, what does God think about it? We have the Bible. They didn't have the Bible then. That's not to say that, that there's no place for dreams. I'm not saying that at all. It's just not like it was in this particular economy and dispensation and so forth. So I would say to Joseph, Joseph, keep your dreams to yourself. You don't have to go out there and flaunt them to your, to your brothers. Um, he did that. Now look in verse 9. Joseph had another dream. Told his brothers about it. Listen to this dream. You know, they're going, oh, okay, the sun, the moon, the 11, and the 11 stars bowed low before me. There's 11 of them, by the way. This time he told his brothers, he told his father as well as his brothers, and his father rebuked him. What do you mean, his father asked? Well, your mother, your brothers, and I actually come and bow before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father gave it some thought and wondered what it all meant. So the first thing that I want you to see as we start off here is that Joseph, Joseph had some problems. And one of the ones he was just, you know, I don't, maybe, maybe it's overstating it to say he was a snot-nosed, little smite-alec kind of guy. I'm not sure that he was a smite-alec, but he sure wanted to flaunt his, his quote-unquote favoritism and some kind of superiority in front of his brothers. And keep in mind, in this age and in this economy, there was very, certainly the oldest was supposed to have all the privileges, but it was not at all unusual for a father very patriarchal society to say, I'm going to do this, the youngest is going to take over and be, be, be in charge of the, the whole family after I die or whatever. So these, these, the brothers are thinking about all this that's going on. They're not just thinking about the fact that oh, I don't like him. Oh, he's got all these dreams. They're thinking about, you know, I don't, this, guy's, this guy could be trouble. There's 11 of them and there's one of him. So, so he goes to visit his brothers again in the field. If you, if you read through all, there's a lot of uh, things in Genesis, starting chapter 37. He goes to visit his brothers in the field again. And this time, they kind of do a little plot. And they say, let's get him. Let's grab him. Let's just, let's just get him out of our lives. So that's kind of a drastic step to take. It was. Um, I won't say that it didn't happen back then, because it did. They find a dry, they, they grab him. They tear off his favorite robe that his father had made for him. They dip it in blood, and they throw him in a dry well. A lot of dry wells in those, that part of the world at that time, because that's what they would just make. That's all they did, dig wells and dig more wells, because the water would run out. They couldn't go very deep, obviously, because it was all by hand. So they found a dry well. They threw him in a dry well. And they think, oh, let's just leave him there. Leave him, basically left him for dead. But one of his brothers, Judah, is beginning to feel guilty. Look what happens here. Judah says to his brothers, what can we gain by killing our brother? That would just give us a guilty conscience. <laughs> Never mind that it's wrong. That would give us a guilty conscience. Isn't that funny? You know, what can we gain by... I wish he would have said, what can we do by killing our brother? That wouldn't be right. We'll have a guilty conscience. Okay. Uh, let's, let's sell Joseph. They're seeing these, these guys off in the distance, these Ishmaelite traders. He says, let's sell Joseph to these... 
to those Ishmaelite traitors. Let's not be responsible for his death. After all, he's our brother. <laughs> you follow the logic here? <laughs> let's don't kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Oh, that's so much better. Yeah. Logic is not something that really was taught in Hebrew school, apparently. But, but um, here we go. It is now, but it wasn't at this point. Um, verse 28, so when the traders came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit. They sold him for 20 pieces of silver, and the Ishmaelite traders took him into Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben, this is another brother who didn't know this had happened, returned to get Joseph out of the pit when he discovered that Joseph was missing. He tore his clothes in anguish because he thought Joseph was dead. This is another brother. When he went back to his, his brothers and lamented, and, and lamented, the boy is gone, what can I do now? And of course, they explained to him what happened. They take the clothes, the cloak that they had dipped in blood, take it back to their father and say, Joseph has been killed by a lion or a tiger or a bear or something, by some wild animal, and he's dead. And of course, his father just you know, goes crazy thinking his, son has, his favorite son has died. Um, meanwhile, back at the caravan of Ishmaelite traders, they have sold Joseph to a fellow named Potiphar, who was more or less, if we were to put that in modern terms, a cabinet-level position of Pharaoh. More or less, he would be on a cabinet-level position in in Washington today, um, if we were to make a parallel. So when Joseph arrived in Egypt with the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, a member of the personal staff of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard. That's a pretty good deal, you know, kind of the head of the FBI. Uh, The Lord was with Joseph and blessed him greatly as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this, and he realized the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything that he did. Potiphar knows what many of you business men and women know, and that is if you find a good person, give them stuff, entrust them, let them do it, let them work. They're hard to find. And that's what, he, that's what he learns. Verse 6, so Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With, while Joseph there, he didn't, have to, he didn't have a worry in the world, that is, Potiphar did, except to decide what, what he wanted to eat. Now he's talking about Joseph there. Now Joseph was a very handsome and a well-built young man. The music begins to rise. I wish we had the band here. They could play along with this. Okay. Uh, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. At this time, Potiphar's wife. Da-da-da! began to desire him and invited him to sleep with her. But Joseph refused. We could make a lot of comments here, but I'm not going to say anything. Some of you are expecting that. She was a not very nice woman. At best, a woman of, 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 of questionable reputation. And she was on the make. And she sees this handsome young man in her, in her house, and she's like, hey, you know, let's, let's get something going here. Verse 10, she kept putting pressure on him day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept, he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he was doing his work inside the house. She came, grabbed him by his shirt, demanding, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but as he did, his shirt came off. She was left holding it as he ran from the house. Lesson to be learned there, men, whoever you are, whatever age you are, run! Don't try to rationalize, don't try to get logical, run! Okay? There you go. He ran from the house. Verse 13, when she saw that she had his shirt and he began to fled, she began screaming. This, of course, was the first woman, you know, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. 
Here we go. My husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to insult us, she sobbed. He tried to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard my loud cries, he ran and left his shirt behind with me. She kept the shirt with her, and when her husband came home at night, she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you've had around here tried to make a fool of me. I was saved only by my screams. He ran out, leaving his shirt behind. Hearing his wife's story, Potiphar was furious. He took Joseph, threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and the Lord was with Joseph there too. Look at this. This is so cool. The the Lord was with Joseph there too. He granted Joseph favor with the chief jailer. Before long, the jailer put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and everything that happened in prison. Is Is this an amazing story? Wherever he goes, God blesses him and God puts him over everything. Isn't that a great deal? Things begin to turn around for Joseph in prison. He is there for a while and there he meets two more what we would call cabinet-level positions from Pharaoh's uh, army, the the baker and the cupbearer. They both have dreams. They can't interpret them. So they say, Joseph, help us interpret our dreams. And so Joseph does. And and, and in in this case, he said, one of you, for one of them, it's a good dream. Here's what this means. Yada, 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 you're going to die. For the other one, this is what this means. Yada, 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 you're going to be restored. The one that's restored remembers him. He goes back into Pharaoh's court. Pharaoh has a dream. He has no clue what it means. And he says, I can't figure out the meaning of this dream. And this guy that, 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 that had met Joseph in, in, the, uh, in, in prison says, Pharaoh, your honor, sir, there's a guy in, in jail that I met who, who, who interpreted my dream. I'll bet he can do this for you. They bring Joseph up. They bring him to Pharaoh. He correctly interprets the dream. As There will be seven years of plenty. There will be seven years of, of, uh, of uh, famine. And, and the, the interpretation of the dream is during the years of plenty, make sure you save all that, conserve all that, so you can have it and get you through the seven years of, of, uh, of uh, barrenness and of starvation and so forth. Pharaoh ends up making Joseph basically the second in command of all of Egypt. So he's not just restored, he's at a place where he never had been, never would have been, never would have gotten to that position had all these failures by all these people, including himself, had not taken place back when he was 17 years old. By the way, it's about 13 years later. 13 years this all takes place. Now for the fun part. There it goes. The seven years of plenty, then the seven years of famine begins to, to start, drought and famine. And during that drought and famine, guess who has to come to Egypt to find food? My brothers. All of them. They come to Egypt. And this is a great... I don't, I don't have this for you. I'm powerful. I, I, I got some other... I just, I just want to read this to you real quick. It's, it's in Genesis 45. You can read it later. They come and ask Joseph for food. They don't recognize Joseph, his brothers. They don't recognize. It's been 13 years. They think he's dead. So they don't. So here's what Joseph. So Joseph's with them, and he's talking to them, and he's kind of he's messing with them a little bit, does some some, some things. He kind of messes with them, and I'm not sure that it was all the right thing to do, but he did. And then in chapter 45, he says, this, "Joseph, I don't have this way. Just listen. Joseph could stand it no longer. Out, all of you!" He cried to his attendants. He wanted to be alone with his brothers when he heard them, uh, when, he, when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and he wept out loud. His sobs could be heard throughout the palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my, first thing he says, is my father still alive? You've got to love that. As a dad, let me just tell you, I love that. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize Joseph was standing there in front of them. I mean, could you imagine the scene? 
They leave him for dead, and here he is, the second most powerful man in the world, and here he says, it's me. And he's not, there's not a vindictive bone in his body at this point, at least that he's seen. It's me. And they're like, oh, crap. <laughs> you catch my drift. <laughs> we are in deep doo-doo is what they're saying. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is some tough. This is, this is it. And, and, then, and then he says, look, he says, he goes on, he says, I'm Joseph, come over here. He says, don't, don't be angry with yourselves that you did this to me, for God did it. He sent me here ahead of you. God has sent me here to keep you and, and your families alive. I mean, isn't that great? I mean, this is incredible stuff. So, so what happens... They, they start and they begin talking and they say, okay. And they take him back to see their dad and, and, and they see his father. And the father ends up within a short amount of time dying. And they have the funeral. So they go through this whole thing again. Now, I got this for you. Watch this. Here's what happens. Joseph returned. This is back to Genesis 50. Then Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers. This is after the funeral. They had accompanied him to his father's funeral. But now his father was dead. Now they're afraid again. Joseph's brothers brother became afraid. How Joseph will pay us, he says, now Joseph will pay us back all the evil we did to him. Because dad's dead now. He did this because dad was alive before. But Joseph told them, don't be afraid of me. Am I God to judge and punish you? As far, watch this, this is huge. This is huge. As far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. He brought me to the high position I have today so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. Indeed, I myself will take care of you and your families. And he spoke very kindly to them, reassuring them. Another Bible puts it this way. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Is that phenomenal or what? I love that verse. I, love I, I have had on my screensaver a number of times, depending on what I'm going through, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Because I need to be reminded of that truth. Maybe for you it's a family member or a business person or an old supervisor or a relative or a loved one or a minister, who knows, God forbid. I mean, really, this, this really could be called how to keep from being a, a poisoned, bitter, old codger, as I would call it. I mean, life can be rotten, life can be unfair, and, and it'll kick you senseless, and there's a lot of fallen people, and it's a fallen world. So we've been talking about that. But once, and this is important, once we understand God's ability to redirect, to rebuild, to restore, it's life-changing. It's life-changing. And, and, and in a sense, it's, it's almost a way to bitter-proof your life. You've known bitter people, as I have, haven't you? And whatever else you do when you come away from that, if you're anything like me, you're like, God, don't let me get bitter. And the one thing that I will tell you now with great authority, and that is, the longer you live, the more opportunity you will have to become bitter. The longer you live, the more opportunities you will have 
to become bitter. And you know that's true. However old you are, you know that's true. Just at your age right now. So here's what I want to do, real, very, real quickly, just, just in closing. Real th- three real simple things. Precepts that will help about God and who he is that will help us understand from Joseph's life, give us some understanding so that we, so that we can fight this thing that, that all of us are tempted to at times, sometimes more than others, about bitterness. And sometimes you go revisit some of that stuff in the background and it, becomes, and it just kind of does some work on you. The first, the first one is this. first precept is this. God is weaving together an, incre- an, an incredible drama out of your life. He's weaving together an incredible... you ever think of your life as a drama? It is. It is. Who's going to play you in the movie? I don't know. For me, probably, I don't know, Steve Martin maybe. I used to say, you know, 10, 20 years ago, I used to say Arnold Schwarzenegger, but those days are gone, so yeah. yeah. Those days were never, never were, by the way. Uh, seriously, God's blessings can come disguised in many forms, and we need to remember there's a bigger deal going on here. Stop in the middle of some of that stuff and think about that. There's a bigger deal going on here. God's weaving together an incredible drama out of your life. Remember that. Great, great thought from Chesterton, who I love reading, and, and I've, I've used this quote before, but it's worth, worth revisiting. But in order that life should be a story or romance to us, it is necessary that a great part of it, at any rate, should be settled for us without our permission. If we wish life to be a system, this may be a nuisance. But if we wish it to be a drama, it is essential. But we should like it still less if the author came before the curtain every hour or so and forced on us the whole trouble of inventing the next act. The thing which keeps life romantic and full of fiery possibilities is the existence of these great, plain limitations which force all of us to meet the things we do not like or do not expect. God's not going to come before the curtain every hour and say, okay, now, here's what's going to happen next and here's why and and all the other sort of stuff. God is weaving together an incredible drama out of your life. Don't forget that. Second thing I want you to see is this. It's a simple one, and these are almost repetitive, but not quite. Don't be too quick to judge the detours of life, those unplanned side roads. Voltaire, put, <laughs> Voltaire said, had a great quote, the longer we dwell on our misfortunes, the greater is their power to harm us. There's some truth to that, let me just tell you. Don't be too quick to judge some of those detours of life. Don't dwell on them. Pray about it and move on. Robert E. Lee, one of the, arguably the greatest general the United States has ever had, in the minds of some, said this, we must expect reverses, even defeats. They are sent to teach us wisdom and prudence, to call forth greater energies, and to prevent our falling into greater disasters. Sometimes defeats cause us, keep us from falling into greater disasters. That's why it's, it's, it's never a matter of what happens. And listen to this quickly. It's never a matter of what happens to you, and you know that. It's a matter of how you respond to it. Swindoll put it this way, and I love this quote. The longer I live, the more convinced I have become that life is 10%, 10% what happens to us, 90% of how we respond to it. It's so true. Here's what we've learned. God can overrule wrong actions. God can overrule bad attitudes. God can overrule impure motives. God can overrule that, and he did. In this example of Joseph, he did that. Another 
Listen, to another person's motives, I like this, another person's motive does not need to be your greatest concern. Your motives needs to be a big concern, but not another person's motives. You don't need to sit around and, and, and have a conference. Well, what were their motives? Well, it, it, you, you, tr- you do the best you can, but if they were bad, they were bad. Third, third thing. Number one, God is weaving together an incredible drama out of your life. Don't be too quick to judge the detours of life. Number three, God is writing a story within a story. A lot of subplots. God is writing a story within a story. If we fail to realize that, life will be just phenomenally bitter and it will be miserable and it will be some wretched living. God's writing a story within a story in your life. Uh, that's, why, that's why, and this, this is the part that, that comes back to our whole theme, that's why a proper view of God is vital, vital, in just walking through life. You have an improper view of God, and he's out, you know, God's out to get me, and God's out to do this. Or, I mean, it's, that's not going to work for you. It's, it's, and it's, it's wrong. As in Joseph's life, and you need to see this, God is at work using all that has happened, your fault, someone else's fault, nobody's fault, to build your story. Just as in Joseph's case. I have one great example, and I want to I wrap it up. I mean, we, we need to wrap it up, but I, I want to wrap it up. You get Most of you who know me, if you're visiting, you'll, you'll know this about me right now. I love reading history, and I, love, I, I read a lot of history. Mostly American history, because, because I'm an American. You know? I love American history. Um, and I just find it fascinating. And this is one of the great stories. I've used this one other time, I think, here. Some of you are going to figure this out before I get to the end of it, but that's okay. Uh, let's just go through it here. Just one great example of this whole thing from American history, all right? Let's start with the first thing. He failed in business in 31. He was defeated for state legislator in 32. Another business failed in 33. His fiance died in 35. He had a nervous breakdown in 36. He ran for Congress in 43. He was defeated. He ran for Congress in uh, 48. He was defeated again. He ran for the Senate in 55. He lost. He ran for VP in 56. He lost again. He ran for the Senate again in 59. He was defeated. You know, don't you? And then in 1860, Abraham Lincoln became our 16th president. That's phenomenal. The difference between history's boldest accomplishments and its most staggering failures is often simply the diligent will to persevere. And I'll tell you what, the longer you live, the more time you have to get embittered. And it is only when we stop and think about who God is and that he's weaving together an incredible drama in my life we stop and think that God, has, God doesn't want us to judge too quickly, too quickly, the detours of life. And that God is busy about writing a story within a story. That's the only way it's going to make a difference. Which comes back to God. And having a relationship with Him. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for these truths. We are thankful that we can come together and think about them and dwell on them and allow the Spirit of God, our own spirits, to just think and dwell and pray and meditate and contemplate these valuable truths. We thank you, God, for your love and for your grace. 
And we thank you for Jesus, and he came, and he lived, and he suffered, and he died, and he went to the tomb, and he rose again to give us the, the ability to have a relationship with our God, our Creator. And we thank you for that, and we thank you in Jesus' name. And we pray. Amen.